What's better than listening to the 430 movie? Seeing it recorded in front of a live audience. Join us this year at WonderCon, where your favorite 430 movie hosts will record Walt Disney Week live in Anaheim. We hope to see you there at WonderCon. Back in the 70s and 80s, before the advent of VHS, chances are if you saw a classic movie, it was on the 430 movie. With their famous theme weeks, it was a chance to see movies you've never seen before and get reacquainted with some old classics. So now, join us for the 430 movie. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and this is Ides of March Week. Ides of March Week? Are we too cool for school? Uh, well, what does that mean? What's we? <laughs> <laughs> what is we? Well, I, I... Uh, um, we're actually talking about... Shakespeare movies, because of course we're in the Ides of March right now, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Shakespeare. Shakespeare, of course, was the great British uh, uh, playwright, uh, William Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) He made a lot of movies back in um, the 17th century. You you may know him as the man who provided the basis of the Baz Luhrmann, Leonardo DiCaprio film. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, we're we're, we're really excited because... um, uh, this is a chance to discuss um, an interesting genre of, of film. Uh, Shakespeare has fascinated filmmakers from the very dawn of the medium and continues to fascinate uh, filmmakers to this day. And, of course, uh, one of the great storytellers in, uh, the, the, the hi- hi- in history, uh, you know, only second to Ashley E. Miller, um, <laughs> the screenwriter of Thor and X-Men First Class. But um, we, uh, we're really, I, I think this should be an interesting week for us here. Or as we like to call it, Six Degrees of Francis Bacon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Darren Doctorman for the win. <laughs> you can just drop the mic. <laughs> now, I just want to say that, you know, we, we've talked about this and we do feel that Shakespeare is best experienced on, on, the, on the stage. And the, uh, so we're going we're gonna to thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> um, no, actually, uh, there have been some amazing, amazing uh, Shakespeare movies. Um, uh, let me ask you because the plays are obviously a very different thing than the movies. Well, the play is a thing. Darren Doctorman and Ashley at the same Whoa, time. A three pointer from the outside corner. Um, Steve Melching. Um, fa- what's your favorite Shakespeare play? Oh boy. Uh, you know, I, I I really like I really like Romeo and Juliet. I think it's a great you know it's a great story. Can't go wrong with Romeo and Juliet, that's for sure. What about you, Darren? Hmm. I have to say, I think it might be a... It's a close one between the Scottish play and Hamlet. Mm. I like them both. Yeah. Uh, and also, Midsummer Night's Dream is fun, too. So, I don't know. I, I would probably have to go with Hamlet. I have to tell you, you know, it's really funny. You mentioned Midsummer Night's Dream. Um uh, I did uh, recently. I, I the um, the actors studio, um, which is in Culver City, uh, they do kids matinees um, sometimes mm-hmm. uh, in Culver City. They did, and it was absolutely delightful. They did Marvel Ado about nothing, <laughs> and they did the play uh, uh, with Marvel characters. Yeah, and the uh, and, and they had Thanos, and they had Iron Man, and they it was and and they did it with um, uh, unrequited love between. Um, 
uh, Scarlet Witch, and and it was and <laughs> and and, we, we, nice. and I have to say, Scarlet Witch dresses up like Hawkeye. Right. It <laughs> was so entertaining and so much fun. We had a, gr- a great time, and uh, it was a great way to introduce uh, kids to Shakespeare. I remember the Much first... Ado is a great one. Yeah, right? and, that's and, a great one. And and, and 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 you know, I first saw Shakespeare. I think the first thing it was like in third grade. We went to see a Macbeth in Connecticut. Uh, you know, a school trip, way all over my head. All I could think of, and I, this is what I loved about it. I'm like, wow, that's from Cat's Paw. Right. <laughs> you know, the three witches in the Star Trek episode Cat's Paw. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Shakespeare's ripping off Star Trek. Yeah, right. No, I didn't quite think that. But, it was, I, but you know, it was a little, a little above my head. But it was a great, um, you know, early uh, exposure to the works of, of, of William Shakespeare. What about you? What's your favorite Shakespeare play? Um, look, I love many of them. Uh, my favorite, I think... Head and Shoulders is probably Hamlet. Um, that's on some level maybe the, the the easy answer, but on but on another level, kind of the most difficult play. I've just I've read it again and again and again and again. Tomorrow um, and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it's it, there's so look there's so it's such a rich plethora of of of, of, <laughs> of, of, of plays to, to, to choose from and uh and then so also so many movies and and tv shows that have been made about shakespeare and most... so many ones that have sections of shakespeare in them yeah 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 i just want you to know uh darren this is for you that batman 66 does not qualify just because bruce wayne had a bust of shakespeare <laughs> yeah, in his no. study I, I disagree, but I'll, I'll go along. <laughs> I'll go along with okay, it. let me rephrase that. <laughs> Batman sixty six was in superhero week, so it's disqualified. Um, okay, well, great. Well, we're going to be talking about Shakespeare movies here on the Ides of March week, and as always, Monday we're going to start with Steve Melching as we curate a fantasy theme week of classic film. Well, films b- based on. Uh, I, I was looking at this as films based on the works of Shakespeare, and of course, there's no shortage of those. I, I probably no writer has been ripped off or <laughs> inspirational to to more. You know, I mean, he's just absolutely iconic. It doesn't need to be said. So I, I'm going to pick a movie that uh, that was many years in development, and actually didn't start life as a Shakespeare adaptation. Um, it started uh, as an adaptation of a an, an old parable from feudal Japan that Akira Kurosawa was working mm-hmm. on about uh, a, a warlord who has to divide his kingdom among his three sons. And as he was developing this movie um, and painting something like 10,000 storyboards all through the 70s, um, he, he started reading King Lear, and King Lear became a major influence on the screenplay. And so, I, of course, I'm talking about Ron uh, from 1985. Mm-hmm. To this day, I, I, I watched it last week to prepare for this, and I think it's one of the most gorgeous movies ever made. It is absolutely stunning stunningly photographed and edited and and I think that's a testament to the care that Akira Kurosawa put into his visuals you know by by virtue of painting those thousands of storyboards and doing this incredible location work uh, you know in the mountains there and shooting it at some real castles uh, on and and then constructing some other castles on the the volcanic black slopes of Mount Fuji and having something like 
1,400 handmade costumes for the soldiers and uh, in the sort of color-coded uh, banners and, and everything and, and you know, literally a cast of thousands. And um, it, it's, it's just, a, I, I find it just an, a monumental feat of filmmaking. It's just it's such a great story about greed and envy and ego and jealousy and vengeance and stubbornness, all those, you know, core human qualities that we can all relate to that were so key to Shakespeare's work. And um, he, he put it together in this, I mean, it's, it's so poetic watching these battle scenes where you're just seeing these, these, these rivers of soldiers moving through frame and 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 phalanxes of, of of soldiers on horseback and the spears and the banners and the smoke and the arrows flying it's it's absolutely breathtaking to me and the it has a wonderfully moody score um under under it all and uh the film was rightfully nominated for four academy awards nominated for uh uh, best director, best art direction, best cinematography, and costumes, and it won for costumes. I would have given it to all four. <laughs> I well, just, look, I just love this. Movie. I think you'll get no argument from us. I mean, I'm a big Kurosawa fan. I love High and Low and Seven Samurai and Throne of Blood. And I mean, but Ron was very late in his career. He yeah. was much older, and it, you know, it's his version of King Lear. And it's just uh, sensational. I mean, it really is an impressive. It's a great choice. Um, it, it, it's it's you know, and that's the great thing about the, the, the. I think we'll see over this Ides of March week how many different interpretations and how elastic Shakespeare is because it, we're going to see a lot of different, not you know, traditional interpretations of Shakespeare. And Ron is one of the most untraditional and just. Um, you know, great epic in the David Lean tradition. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful film well, and a wonderful version of uh, King Lear. Yeah, of course, Kurosawa was no stranger to adapting Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. He had done it before. Um, but this one, I think this is his masterpiece. It's my personal favorite of all of his films, mm-hmm. and I can watch it again and again and uh, be just mesmerized by it. Yeah, wholeheartedly, absolutely. Yeah, that's, no, uh, that's that's a, a if one. you can see this on the biggest screen possible, do so. It's... It's a, a feast for the eyes. It's interesting to me that um, there hasn't really been a successful big screen direct adaptation of uh, of King Lear. I mean, I, I sort of get why. It's an enormously, I mean, you talk about the tragedies and how dark they can be. It is enormously dark. It is relentlessly dark. Um, it is perhaps the bleakest play he ever wrote. I mean, Titus Andronicus is a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> But uh, but Lear just it just cuts the guts out of you, um, and really leaves you with like no sense of um, of really any hope at all. I mean, uh, now Ron was not a direct adaptation; it was a it was an interpretation, right? right. It was it was heavily influenced yes. by the story. Yeah, and I mean it is it's so bleak because it's you know it's a family story. It's a father and his his three sons. And uh, but not like Fred McMurray, no. <laughs> and how this family, you know, the, the, he wants to re- the warlord wants to retire basically and and divide his kingdom or turn his his lands over to his his sons and and uh, the youngest son is the is the truth teller. It's like this is not going to work. This is not going to end well. 
and for his honesty, he's sort of banished from the family. And uh, and sure enough, the, the two brothers turn on each other and on the father. And there's the manipulating uh, uh, wife uh, who is seeking revenge for the destruction of her family by the by the warlord. And, you know, it doesn't end well for anybody. I mean, everybody dies. Spoiler alert. Everybody dies. In what? This. It's so bleak. It really is. It's and a it's very tragic. Dark... And some of them deserve it. And some of them maybe don't. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great. It's, look, it's a great choice. It's a great movie. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, it's 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 a. Uh... Uh, alas, Darren Docterman, I knew him well. Uh, Darren, uh, on Tuesday, um, where uh, where's your head at on the on, well, on Isis March week? I am. Uh, I'm going to go in this direction. Uh, in 1990, there was a, uh, a an adaptation of a Tom Stoppard play that was directed by Tom Stoppard. Yep. Okay. And it is the Back to the Future Two <laughs> of Shakespeare. Oh, that's funny! It is it is the uh, lower decks. <laughs> it is the red shirts. Yeah. It is Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, starring uh, Gary Oldman, Tim Roth, uh, with a uh, uh, supporting performance by Richard Dreyfuss as the uh, leader of the uh, actor troupe uh, that goes through Hamlet. And it is so clever and witty and fun and uh, <laughs> and mysterious and wacky. Uh, it follows these two secondary characters that we see once in the play in in uh, Hamlet, uh, and we follow what happens to them during the entire play. And they are going in and out of scenes that, as the play is happening over here. On, off to the side, we're following them and their horrible fate <laughs> that uh, that awaits them. I mean, not like everyone in the play Hamlet doesn't have a horrible fate, but it is so well done and so clever, uh, and it is just magical. And you know, Roth and Gary Oldman are just great. When have they ever not been great? <laughs> well. Tim Roth was kind of goofy in Planet of the Apes. Okay. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'll, I'll accept that answer. Uh, but uh, it's just it's just marvelous, and uh, it's it's an interesting sort of side view at something that you know we all sort of know by rote from what we've been exposed to. I mean, I, I'm sure that none of us can quote the entire play of Hamlet, but we know what happens in it, and. This gives us such a, a fun little side view at something that uh, I would love to see in with other subjects. I would love to see, uh, you know, famous uh, famous shows shown from the point of view of other characters in it. That's just such a like, fun. What about Bewitched from the standpoint of Gladys Kravitz? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Dude. Was that was that the first uh, play or story that really did that sort of thing that went into a an existing story from a completely different perspective? You know, if there is, I don't know of it. I mean, but it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely, absolutely brilliant, and it's been imitated many times, mm -hmm. including by myself to some extent. <laughs> um, for uh, Mark Altman, for a time, had a magazine called uh, Sci-Fi Universe, 
And uh, I was going to, me and a couple friends were going to do a comic strip for it. And our, our premise for the comic strip was looking at these sort of minor characters from the Star Wars universe and follow them through the parallel events of the Star Wars movies. But these characters are ones that always died in the movie. Mm-hmm. So the last panel is always them dying horribly. The first one was <laughs> Tales of the Death Star scanning crew. And right. we followed those two guys as they went about their daily chores on the Death Star and then get summoned to hang docking bay 94 or the <laughs> hangar or uh, 327 uh, <laughs> and uh go into the millennium falcon and and suddenly a wookiee jumps out and, and rips pulls their head and polarizes off. them and uh. and another one was the uh, the stormtroopers looking for uh, r2 and 3po on tatooine and uh following them to, to docking bay 94 right. where han solo shoots them and of course that story <laughs> became the basis for the uh famous star wars fan film troops Right. Weren't you also going to do tractor bay technicians, the guys who were guarding the tractor beam? Yeah. And yeah. they were going to die in yeah. the Death Star explosion? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we had a whole bunch of those. <laughs> I remember that. That, I, it was, that was, that's great. That's but really yeah, like back to the, you mentioned Back to the Future too. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah the same thing where you're taking characters back into, into the, not necessarily, the, you're not the story that you're familiar characters. with. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's taking it off in a direction that uh, is, uh, you know, vastly different from what you're used to. It's funny you mentioned, um, Star Wars in the context of this particular movie and Tom Stoppard, mm-hmm. who I was momentarily, briefly, my radar went ding, um, oh, with some excitement for Attack of the Clowns. <laughs> Whoops, did I say that out loud? Uh-huh. Uh, for Attack of the Clones, because Tom Stoppard was evidently going to be participating in, in writing the screenplay. And I thought, oh, thank God. Yeah. And uh, no. It was not to be sure. Well, you know, and I will say this, you know, look, it's no secret. I'm not a fan of the prequels and I'm not we're not going to have that debate here. I know Steve is. Um, But um, in there's a one the one scene I actually like in, in, in Revenge of the Sith is that scene in the opera between uh, Palpatine and and Hayden Christensen. And that was written by Tom Stoppard. No, it was not. It that's, was not. That's not true. That's not. It's apocryphal. That's <laughs> apocryphal. apocryphal. Well, you know what? I defer you. You would clearly know. I'd always <laughs> no, heard that. that but if not, you say know, it's not I, true, I know that was a very popular story. Then I, I, I believe. But I, I, I still love the scene. Yeah, I, it's a good uh, scene. So, but I will not talk about it anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I, I love that movie so much, um, and I think it's a. It's actually it's a great story in and of itself. I mean, you can watch it without having to understand Hamlet. It's not inside baseball. It uh, it lets you into the world. And it's really about something. It's about more than just kind of, okay, this is, this is the background. It's these characters become aware of the fact that they are bit players in, um, in someone else's story, not in a, not in a meta way, but um, but just in a like we like have no real agency and 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 what is this about and like and what meaning does does any of this have for us and you know I I just I love their interplay like the tennis game um, when they're going like it could have been a sports movie right uh, <laughs> it's just it's it's brilliant and it's just and it's funny and it just goes like that. Beware the Ides of March. <laughs> and beware the suggestion from Ashley Miller because we have come to him. Beware the Beast Man. <laughs> <laughs> and Ram Man. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're at Wednesday. We've had uh, two very interesting, and when I say untraditional, I don't mean bad. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, when you think of Shakespeare, you think of straight up 
right. faithful adaptations. The, neither of them are, you know, like we said, it's it inspired by King Lear, but not it's not King Lear. You know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Very different take by Tom Stoppard on uh, on that story. So now we come to you, Ashley. Always thinking outside the box. I'm very curious to hear what you're going to say. You know, today on this podcast, I throw a fastball mm-hmm. straight down the middle. Um, and uh, I want to talk about a uh, a film that actually changed my life. It changed the course of my life. So when I was in high the school- bad news bears go to Japan. Yes, <laughs> which by the way, I kind of dig. Um, Based on Richard III, oddly. Yes. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> yes. In fact, dialogue is ripped straight from that play. Um, no, I, in high school and through about half of college, I resisted Shakespeare. Mm. I, you know, I didn't like reading it. I, I, I didn't like talking about it. I just, it bored me. I think part of the it's reason vegetables. it bored me. Yeah, it's vegetables. It's, it's, it was it's a great analogy, vegetables, right? Right. Mm. There was no dessert to it. Later, when I became a, um, a a teacher and I was doing my my student teaching and all that, and I had to teach Julius Caesar, I realized what had planted that idea in my head. It was honestly, it was Julius Caesar's fault. The reason why <laughs> Julius Caesar gets taught so much is because Julius Caesar has no ing in it. There's no sex, <laughs> right? So it's acceptable for a, a general audience, but it's a sort of a serious play. So. Uh, that's neither here nor there. I thought that Shakespeare was was boring. Um, I thought that Shakespeare was all sort of hoity-toity and heady, and I just didn't care. I mean, I'm the guy who, I love Howard the Duck. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, people think of it as tights. Yes. Yeah. Men in tights, you Ex- know. And declaiming and all of these things, mm-hmm. and that there's no blood to it. So one night, I'm sitting around, it's like my junior year, my first junior year in uh, in college, and I'm watching movies with my friends, and... And one of my friends uh, brings home a movie directed by this guy named Kenneth Branagh. Mm-hmm. It's called Henry V. Yep. And he put it in. Like, I haven't seen Henry one through four yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to see the other movies? <laughs> Henry V strikes back. Right. Um, and that, that was my original choice was before really? Rosenkrantz. I would have yeah. applauded it. And, yeah. I mean, Ken gives this performance that is so human, that is so perfect. Yeah, and real. And real. He internalizes the dialogue. He's not just declaiming it. He is he is saying it. It's happening. It's it's real and it's vital. And the asides that he gives to himself are so good. So good. So good. He sells it. And he makes really smart adaptation choices. Like, yeah. I didn't even appreciate when I first watched it because I didn't know. Yeah. Like, pulling scenes from Henry IV Part Two, Like, yeah. understanding that... You know that that All Henry the Fifth, yes. yes, that he used to be Hal, this mm-hmm. feckless prince, and how he had to show that he was more than that, um, and how this movie is is really it's a it's a coming of age story for him. It's about him, you know, this this collision with reality. And I saw this, and it just it blew my mind. Yeah. The day before I saw that film, I was a government major. The day after I saw that film. I was an English major. I went and I took every uh, Shakespeare class, every Renaissance lit class that I could possibly take. Um, there was a, a professor uh, that uh, was in the English department who was very difficult, um, who uh, who was- Kingsfield. Yeah, uh, Yes, King, he was basically Kingsfield. His name was Peter Wiggins and he was enormously difficult and I loved him. He was so challenging and he just made it all seem so great um, and so vital and it was at that moment, kind of seeing, 
there was something about Henry V uh, and how amazing that film was. Mm-hmm. Not just activating me in, in, in terms of really loving Shakespeare, but also activating me as a writer. I always knew that I wanted to be a writer of some kind, but... You know, did, this, did you tell Kenneth Brown? Well, I was just going to say, yeah. the story has an incredible yeah. payoff, because here you're talking about how Henry V really changed your life, that film in particular, and then... 10, 15 years later, 20 years later, you're working with Kenneth Branagh on Thor. Yes. That's remarkable. Yes. So that's the punchline, right? Because I'm in this business. I'm doing this job in part because I am so moved by what I've seen, right? And um, I remember, I will never forget when uh, when we were trying to get the job for Thor. You know, it was there was a whole host of reasons why we were even in, the, in consideration. And I went in uh, to read the original three million page outline they had for their 18 hour miniseries that didn't have a third act and um, just kind of get a sense of it, right? And uh, I spent 45 minutes reading and they asked me if I wanted to come back and talk about it a little bit. So I go back and to talk about it a little bit. And I think it's just me and it's the Marvel executives mm-hmm. and and someone starts speaking. And I went, I know that <laughs> I, I know that around. voice. I know, I know that, that voice. <laughs> it's and it's Kenneth Branagh, and he's wearing a t-shirt, jeans. He's got chucks on. He's got his feet kicked up, and I go, "Oh my!" It's, I didn't even notice him mm-hmm. until he opened his mouth, um, and then suddenly it was it was Kenneth Branagh, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was like it was just one of those moments where you where you doubt your own reality. Where like nothing really makes sense, and working him with him was just one of the highlights of my life. The um, next to doing this podcast, next to doing this podcast, <laughs> the best moment. So it, it, this is this is the thing that if if nothing else happened to me in my career that was good, this is this would be the thing that would make it all okay. Uh, towards the end of the the Thor development process, we were in draft number five or six or something like that, and we were Ken would go through the script um, page by page each draft and read it. And sometimes he would read things out loud, mm-hmm. right? So he would want to read the scene, I'll be Thor and you be Jane. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, and he would do a one-man show that was very funny of the of the movie that was amazing. Um, but the best moment was we were we were kind of rounding the, you know, the the last sort of quarter pole on um on the third act of, of Thor and kind of working it out. And, and it had been important to all of us. And one of the reasons why we got the, the, the job was because we really leaned into um, the family tragedy of it all and how this was a story about, you know, these, these two brothers who, who loved each other um, very much and loved their father but interpreted um, his wishes very differently. Um, and, uh, you know, we were talking about kind of how to wrap all of this stuff up and and I will never forget sitting in this conference room in uh, in the Marvel offices that were in you know wherever Manhattan they, Beach yeah in Manhattan Beach and we're at a conference table and I also remember there were I'm not making this up there were two Ravens that were like outside oh my god <laughs> and um, Ken as he was wont to do had his feet kicked up and he starts talking about Hamlet and he says you know I have been trying to understand that play for 30 years. And I have wondered all this time, his soliloquy, what it means. And it's taken me all of this time to finally begin to understand it. And he connects it to the moment after 
Laertes comes in and he says, hey, Hamlet, um, here's a deal. You're a dick. Mm -hmm. uh, you killed my dad. You made my sister crazy. And she killed herself. Everything around you turns to shit. I hate you. And in front of everyone, I'm going to kick your ass up one side and down the other. What are we talking about? That's, that's, that's a direct, that that's a direct yeah. quote from Shakespeare. That right? is yeah. absolutely yeah. a direct yeah. quote. Go sit on an egg. Go sit on an egg. And he leaves. And Hamlet kind of turns to Horatio and he says, eh, he's kind of right. But he says more than that, right? He, he gives this whole speech, which ends with the punchline, let be. Just mm -hmm. let be. So Ken is trying to lay this out, and he goes into the speech. This was the remarkable moment. He obviously has all of the, the dialogue, all of the, the, the lines memorized, but he doesn't recite it, he doesn't say it, he doesn't perform it. He just is. Yeah. Hamlet. And he's looking at me, and I'm Horatio, and he's Hamlet, and he's just saying all of these things. And he finishes. And I burst into tears. That's great. I burst into tears. So Henry V will always occupy a, a very special place um, in my heart. You know, that's such an incredible, incredible story. And uh, it's funny, I, not that I had that kind of experience with Kenneth Branagh by any means, uh, but I did have a, that kind of experience with Henry V where I was not, you know, I admired uh, the storytelling in Shakespeare, but didn't particularly enjoy the language, the verb, you know, just it's it, it, it's work. You know, it was home. It always felt like yeah. homework. And then I saw Henry V. You know, his brilliant adaptation, um, and it changed the whole thing. I became very interested in Shakespeare. I was much more open to it. It's so brilliant, and it was such um, a gateway drug to Shakespeare. Yep, um, totally. It, agree. It's a remarkable movie. I'm so glad that you mentioned it, and that. You know, as we're all film music fans, that Patrick mm. Doyle mm. score mm -hmm. is magnificent. Yep. You know, for that film, and uh, he, 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 you know, he's done Shakespeare adaptations later. You know, and at the time, he was really the infant terrible of the stage. He, they were saying, this is the next second coming of Orson Welles, mm -hmm. because Orson Welles, of course, had made a name for himself doing Shakespeare. You know, with the Mercury Theater and everything else, and then he, you know, he did Kane, and later on would do a lot of Shakespeare adaptations. And everyone sort of compared. He's British. He's erudite. <laughs> you know, he's like Orson Welles, but of course, he was nothing like Orson Welles. Right. right. Um, just remarkable, and that's just an incredible, uh, incredible story. Because of course, Thor is such a Shakespearean story. Um, and uh, yeah, he was he was perfectly cast as yeah. the director of that yeah. film, and that was when probably heard, very intentional. I, I imagine. That, I went, oh my god, perfect, mm -hmm. yeah. perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can see that. Whereas Joe Johnston, for instance, would not have been the right no. guy for Thor. Not for where Thor. he was the right guy yeah. for Captain America. Yeah. Um, so uh, really yeah, a wonderful film. I, I remember going to see that at the Beverly Center, uh, and. Uh, it was in their smallest theater. Mm. It was a shoebox, tiny shoebox. I think that's shoebox. exactly where I saw it, too. Yeah. There was maybe six rows of yeah. seats or something, but it was riveting. Yeah. I was not familiar with the play, um, but I had heard, you know, I'd heard the, the, you know, heard about this Kenneth Branagh guy. Yeah. Here's a great film. So I, I went in cold to see it, and it, it was tremendous. Shakespeare had never lived yeah. for me before, mm -hmm. before that. I have to say, and this is a total aside, I've, I've, I've seen... Movies in a lot of bad theaters in my life. Been in a lot of bad theaters. I've been in theaters with rats on the floor. <laughs> I've been in, in really bad, all around the world. 
there's probably no worse theater than the Beverly Center was. Right. You know, oh. rest in peace. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, there was a point at which it was it was too few theaters to begin with, and they chopped them up into even oh, less. Right. And it's like you'd almost feel like the, they just put a wall through the yeah. middle of the theater, like yeah. half a the screen. wall went through a chair. It yeah. was so <laughs> awful, and 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 there was so much sound coming oh, through from the surrounding from, from the other, other theaters. theaters. Oh. I mean, it was no surprise when the Beverly Center closed those. Awful, awful theaters. And, you know, we talk about how, you know, times are, you know, with everything that's going on in the world. But the one thing that has improved is is movie theaters. Oh, it's <laughs> night and day. Growing up in the 70s and oh 80s with, uh, f- like, those almost no rake to the auditorium. Oh, yes, yes. oh my God. Terrible yeah. mono sound, scratchy prints. Yeah. Because we missed the heyday of the movie palaces yeah. right. from, like, the 40s. And the, those yeah. incredible, giant pre-television auditoriums. They all, at least in Brooklyn, had all become churches by the time yeah, I was yeah. um, uh, a kid. But um, that you know, then you have like these duplexes that all became quads. Yeah, you know, and they were awful, and you know, terrible sound, terrible sound bleeding in. But uh, you, you know, then the '90s, you start to have these movie chains like ArcLight and everybody else, and 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 it's just the, the exhibition has been revolutionized in the last ten well, years. You can thank. George Lucas yeah. for some yeah, of that absolutely. with the, the THX program and, and his pushing digital cinema and, yeah. and wanting to, you know, make the best possible movie going experience so that it reflects the director's right. uh, vision as closely as possible. Yeah, I think, look, we're all indebted to George Lucas for, for, for so much, you know. Three awful movies do not uh, excuse <laughs> the fact that he is, you know, responsible for... Um, uh, just uh, changing cinema and and everything he did, not just on the screen but behind the scenes. I mean, he's a remarkable, remarkable, uh, creative, uh, brilliant. I, I just man. love being able to go to a theater now. I can get my book my seat in advance, and there's stadium seating yeah. and yep. you know incredible sound, perfect picture. You can get somebody to bring you a drink. Yes. I, I mean, I, it's so funny you say that because I was explaining to my kids, and I don't think they quite understood. Um, how you used to stand we would in get line. online yeah. for a movie hours, hours in advance yep. to get good to get a good seats, seat. you know, yeah. to get that good seat, you know, and and not not be sitting in the front row. But uh, it could be ruined in a heartbeat or, if someone sits in front of you who's really tall or, or has, has a hat or hat. big hair or something, or, like, or getting Argh! turned away because yes. they were sold out. Because yeah. you would do that, you would get online yeah. and wait online for hours, and then they tell you, "Oh, we're sold, we're out. sold out. Sorry, or not even sorry, just we're sold right. out." You can come to the next show in three hours. Right. And it was like... And stand in that line over there. So we're so lucky that we have this ability to go online and buy tickets and and pick our seats, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, you know... Back when we were kids, you know, it was was rough being a kid back in in the day. Um, So, yes. Uh, Okay, so... Henry V. Great, great choice. Obviously, it was on my list. Um... You know, great choices so far all across the board. As we get to Thursday, I would say Thursday, Thursday, Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> to be or not to be. That is the question that Christopher Plummer asked in Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered <laughs> Country. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I think it's legit. I think it's legit. Nick Meyer put You'd so much wrong. Shakespeare in Star Trek VI, so much superfluous Shakespeare. And of course, the great story about Nick Meyer was 
he used to listen to these records of Christopher Plummer performing Shakespeare. And he said, wouldn't it be wonderful if I just had him with me to recite Shakespeare all day? And so he he went to his (laughs) casting director, Mary Jo Slater, and said, I want Christopher uh, Plummer for Chang, General Chang, and then I could just have him recite Shakespeare to me all the time. <laughs> and that's how Christopher Plummer got cast oh, in Star Trek VI. We can't allow that to be in there because you know why? That opens the gate for the last action hero and Arnold Schwarzenegger in Hamlet. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> fair, 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 to be or not to be. Not to be. Not to be. And, 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 you know, look, you know, obviously had Forbidden Planet uh, not sure. been uh, part mm-hmm. of uh, uh, In the Shadow of Star Trek week, I, I would have Absolutely. probably leaned Absolutely towards dark. that, Adaptation of the Tempest. Um, God, I, I, you know, I had a couple of things I really, uh, really, I, I love uh, Joss Whedon's adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, um, you know, which is great. And I admire the chutzpah of it. It was made for virtually no money uh, in his at his house, mm-hmm. you know, with a bunch of friends like Nathan Fillion and, uh, uh, you know, all the a ton of Buffy actors. And it's, What year was that one? I don't know. It was in the last yeah. 10. 10 yeah, it was yeah. like in the last 10 years. It was like right in, when he was doing Cabin in the Woods or something. Now, I know you look at me, and I'm sure Steve's thinking this. He's going to go with Woody Allen's uh, Midsummer Night Sex Comedy. He's going to go, I, don't do it, don't do it. And I have to say, you know, as much as you know, that I, I, I love to find uh, Woody Allen just to remind people of how many brilliant movies Woody Allen has made. This is not one of them. Good. So uh, Jose Ferrer and, and, and Mia Farrow in Midsummer Night Sex Comedy, not going to make my list. The film that I feel really good about nominating for Thursday, um, it's a very faithful adaptation, but with a twist of Richard III in mm-hmm. McKellen mm-hmm. in sort of a Nazi-fied, it's the man in the high castle mm-hmm. version, uh, sort of Nazi Germany and England uh, with Ian McKellen as Richard III. And it has a sensational cast. And you know, for people who only know Robert Downey Jr. as, uh, as Iron Man, uh, you know, and, and maybe as Chaplin, uh, he, uh, he, he's third build in Richard III. He plays Rivers. He's, he's amazing in it. Annette Benning is amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it, it, it is, it, it's, but Ian McKellen, I mean, you know, we say tour de force, uh, he's brilliant as Richard III. And, you know, I love him as Gandalf. <laughs> I love him as Magneto. You know, and and uh, but but uh, I think my, one of my my favorite performance ever of Ian McKellen's is uh, in Richard the Third. There is no one equal today. Um, maybe Branna in some roles, but McKellen owns every role that he played in Shakespeare. Specifically, uh, I remember seeing a PBS special back in eighty one, perhaps called Ian McKellen acting Shakespeare. And it's him standing with a studio audience. He's basically standing on a platform, and he's going through various soliloquies and sections of Shakespeare's works and giving them a life that was amazing in the space of like an hour. And it's it's up on YouTube, I think. Uh, find it. It is amazing and, and uh, revolutionary to see him at... The, you know, the height of his power, mm-hmm. truly. You know, to explain, you know, his technique, it's all, you know, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. 
shall not pass. <laughs> Our second reference to uh, extras. <laughs> I, we keep referring. I don't think we referred to extras on the show. I think we no, were joking around right. between oh, uh, record, before the recording session where we were talking about Patrick Stewart, another great Shakespearean <laughs> actor. Yes. Um, in and and of course. Uh, uh, you know, just just a brilliant actor, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick, um, yeah. But we were talking about his performance in extras as well. So yeah, my pick is 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 oh. Richard the Third. It was uh, released by MGM during one of the nine people that owned them in the nineties, right. and it didn't get much of a wide release. I, I do believe I went to see it at the Beverly Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mercifully may have seen it at the Beverly Connection, which was a slightly mm-hmm. better, or maybe Century City. I, I don't think I did, but. Um, but uh, but maybe maybe it's possible because those theaters ran the small indie mm. movies. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 and the but the theaters in Century City were pretty good. Cineplex yeah. Odeon, those were pretty good. Yeah. Free Enterprise played there. Phantom Menace played there. They had right. some good screens. Um, so it was uh, it was it was good. But yeah, Richard III's my pick for um, for 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 well, Thursday. That's, that's a terrific movie. I remember seeking it out in was it ninety five when that came out mm, and so, yeah. uh, just being. I mean, it's just a beautiful-looking film. Uh, sim- you know, simple, but just yeah. a tremendous performance. Well, I liked it. It had to be simple. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, what I appreciate about that that movie, as I am recalling it, is it didn't it didn't stretch uh, to make kind of the adaptation choice in terms of the setting. Um, like it, it it didn't try to make the the dialogue in some way contemporary with that. It just played that story. It played the it it adapted the play straight, um, and it used just that setting, that Nazi setting, um, to just make it very different and give it its own visual identity, which I think was just kind of brilliant. But Richard Long Crane, uh, the writer, directed mm-hmm. it, who I've been accused of looking like on occasion for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and uh, he did a, just a great job. I love that milieu. I mean, I just love when Shakespeare is taken out of the Elizabethan England set. Mm-hmm. They, they've, they've been so many movies mm-hmm. where, you know, maybe it's put in a contemporary setting or it's put in space or it's put in, in this case, it was Nazi mm-hmm. Germany. And it's so perfect for Richard III. And, um, Which is completely appropriate because, remember, when the plays were originally performed, they were as pop culture. Mm-hmm. They were they were the popcorn uh, entertainment. That's right. They mm-hmm. were the MCU of yes. Elizabethan England. Shakespeare was, yeah. was writing for the cheap seats. Correct. I, I like mm-hmm. to say that if Shakespeare were alive today, he would essentially be Shane Black. You know, here's a guy who is he wants to entertain people, um, and he writes incredibly smart dialogue about incredibly interesting characters, and he just kind of lets it go. The the thing that that um, that Shakespeare had really going for him. Um, among uh, other than enormous talent, simply just having that 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 troupe, you know, and and that ability just, you know, to to write these plays and rewrite and perform and sort of see how they work and and rewrite. I mean, it, you know, it, it's it's easy to imagine that these things sprung fully formed from his head, but they mm-hmm. didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were reworked and revised. My God, and how many of them were remakes? Right. Hamlet mm-hmm. is a yes. remake. Mm-hmm. That's correct. You know, it's it's arguably it's a it's a remake of um, of uh, Thomas Kidd's The Spanish Tragedy. Horatio is right, but it's uh, it's uh, it's it's not just that. It's there are these stories that are very primal that people knew, and mm-hmm. he made them relevant and right. present, and kind of really gave them um, something that the Elizabethan audience could connect to. And as it turns out, when they're performed correctly. 
when they were taken out of the hands um, of professors and teachers and dramatists who over intellectualized this crap. It was it just intended to by teach the, the masses right. history. Yep. Yes. Yeah. It was the oral tradition of telling the stories of your forefathers. See, I'm really struck by what Ashley said about uh, Shakespeare being the Shane Black of his time. I would love to have seen Shakespeare write The Predator. Thou, <laughs> if thou is bleed, we, can, you know what? we Kenneth kind of did. slay him. <laughs> yeah, he kind of did, man. It's like, look, not everything Shakespeare did was awesome. Uh, the Henry VI plays are just not good. They simply are not. Um, but so much of what was special about him was he was great with comedy. He was great with tragedy. He was great with history. Okay. But, okay, I mean, I said Thursday. Can I say, you, this relates to what you're saying. My guilty pleasure suggestion for Friday, I know it's a different week, is Titus Andronicus, uh, <laughs> which is his slasher play. Which right. is not. Uh, which is, you know, loathed by most Shakespeare scholars. But Julie Taymor right. made a terrific right. film adaptation called Titus with Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins that I love. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love it. And that would be one of my suggestions for mm -hmm. Friday. Mm -hmm. I actually dig Titus Andronicus, but, uh, but yeah. I, but you're twisted and weird. Yeah, I know. You, <laughs> you mentioned the, uh, the more recent version of Much Ado About Nothing. I would go to the Branagh version yep, of Much Ado because it is so good. Yep, it is excellent. it's second only to Henry V in in my estimation of uh adaptations. But the the cast that he brought together is ginormous and amazing. Even Keanu Reeves in it is really good. And uh, I, I think if you can find it and the score is amazing as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, I hadn't even thought about the Keanu Reeves angle of it all, but I realize now that that was 93 mm -hmm. and, um, and whatchamacallit, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula right. was, what, 92, 93. And it's amazing the the difference. Like, it's like they're two different actors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Well, it's interesting because, you know, look, we've talked in the past about how much we all love Dangerous Liaisons, and Keanu Reeves has a supporting role in that. And he is probably one of the weakest elements of that movie. Mm -hmm. And I love Keanu Reeves now. I love the John yeah. Wick films. I love him in a lot of mm -hmm. movies, obviously, in The Matrix. But he's terrible in Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> so, yeah, there was, was a period where he was mm -hmm. not, he was the dude, you know, and you couldn't is, really see him in a serious role. In what roles he's cast. Yes. Also, you know, um, I don't know that anybody would say that, that Ken's strength is as a visual stylist. I don't think even he would tell you that. Um, and even though I think his movies look beautiful, mm -hmm. what he is amazing at is he directs every single performance. There is there is no one who speaks on his set that has a role that is too small. Mm -hmm. um, that it, it, even people who don't have anything to say, who simply act and perform, that the camera. I mean, he just directs very specifically, as if they're the most important person on the set. That's right. really funny because that's what I think all the great directors did. In, in the golden age of Hollywood in the 30s and 40s, particularly in those screwball comedies. Even like the butler who would come in for like three lines, they would cast them just so impeccably well. Yeah. You know, and every role mattered, you know. And, and, and uh, we used to say that when we were doing uh, Free Enterprise, you know, for every role we said, you know, you may have five lines, but to us, you know, it's like those classic movies where every role you know, is important and has to be impeccably cast. And speaking of free enterprise, another <laughs> choice for, for, for Friday, and I, I don't want to be the one to mention my own movie, uh, but uh, free enterprise, no tears for Caesar. Shakespeare does his one-man show of, uh, uh, of, of Julius Caesar, you know, stab himself in the back. i still for that. <laughs> okay, you know, what, are you going to have to stab yourself in the back? I've done I've it done before. It before. <laughs> yeah. um, 
Uh, I, again, I would mention Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, which I think is, is really great. I can't believe we haven't mentioned Baz Luhrmann's. Well, uh, I was going to say, I think for me, that's the only choice for Friday. Baz Luhrmann's adaptation of Romeo and Juliet with hmm. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, where he it it brought that play to life so vibrantly. I I absolutely love that movie, and it it made DiCaprio a superstar. Um, the use of music in it, the, um, the 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 visuals, the way he sort of the the milieu that he set it that Lerman adapted it into just, I, I just absolutely love that movie. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, there are a couple of films we didn't mention. There's Orson Welles' adaptations, Othello. including Othello, mm, yeah. Roman Polanski's wonderful uh, low-budget adaptation of Macbeth, which I, mm-hmm. I think is terrific. Um, so there are a lot of other films, and, you know, well, again, I mean... Th- you know, Kurosawa's Throne of Blood. Absolutely. Um, Looking for Richard, an oh, interesting yeah, little right. uh, movie. Uh with um, Al Pacino, Al Pacino, Al Pacino. Uh, Shakespeare Ooh, uh, guy, the Shakespeare guy. <laughs> now let me tell you, I, I, this is a this is a true story. Oh. So speaking of Pacino, yes. So uh, back when Je- Star Trek Generations first came out, we heard the story from a mutual friend. It's true. He was at Pacino's house, and Pacino would watch you know Bel Air Prince every weekend. And he was a big people don't know this. He's a big Star Trek fan, Pacino, and they were watching Generations. And this, of course, was the film that famously united William Shatner and Patrick Stewart on the. And and Pacino was greatest, get, getting it. so fed up watching the movie, he started sort of narrating it. So the big climax, you know, where they're fighting on the bridge and it collapses when they're fighting Thoron, and it's like um, Pacino starts going. Goes, Shatner's twice the man of the Shakespeare guy. The Shakespeare guy is like, ooh, ah, everything hurts him. He's so, he, he can't do anything. He, he's so ineffectual. Shatner, it takes a mountain to kill Kirk. A mountain. Hoo-ah. <laughs> 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 and, and, and that endeared me to Al Pacino forever when I heard that story. Oh, and my God. I was lucky enough to tell Shatner that story on, on the set of Free Enterprise, and I must admit he enjoyed it. <laughs> so great. Oh, Screaming Al. Screaming Al. Of crazy. I, uh, it's an interesting movie. It's about, it's it's uh, Al Pacino. Oh, I think you were going to say Star Trek Generations. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one would ever argue yeah. that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's a great movie. I personally, um, I'm very partial to uh, the Franco Zeffirelli yeah. Hamlet. I think it's mm. excellent. I think that Mel Gibson is actually amazing yeah, as Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. He gives probably my favorite performance. And this is even stacked up against, I mean, Ken did Hamlet a few years later, mm-hmm. and I don't think it was as good. Right. Uh, because I think that um, that uh, that what Mel Gibson was doing was just so, like, from the guts, man. It was just, it was so... Um, it was so visceral, and even though he was a little too old to play yeah. the part, frankly, so is so is Ken. People forget right. or don't realize that that Hamlet Hamlet's, is very young. Yeah, he's basically he's like, he's not much more than a teenager. Maybe, he's maybe twenty, maybe something. twenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but you just felt it in his performance. It just mm-hmm. it's so feral and it's so awesome, it's and it great. just makes it real. And it's and watching that reminds me why I love that play so much. Yeah, I, I, again, I I really I think Joss Whedon is a surprisingly astute a- a- adapter of Shakespeare. I really enjoyed Much Ado About Nothing. I thought he did a great a great job with no money. And, um, and I, 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 again, I thought, uh, you know, really, I'm surprised Julie Taymor hasn't done more because yeah. I thought Titus was an audacious, she'd been very successful in the theater. This was her first film. She later went and did Across the Universe. Um, I'd like to see her, her, do, her do more. But 
I think Steve is right when he says well, he can mention uh, you know West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you certainly can. Yeah. Or uh, Strange Brew. That's uh, true. Oh my God! I love adaptation that. of uh, Hamlet. But oh my goodness! Yeah, I I think uh, Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Romeo Baz plus William Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I think so too. I'll I'll go along with it. A little reserved, but I'll, I'll go along with it. You know, it's the film that we just have so many people to shake. I mean, I think yeah. that if you remember in the '90s when it came out. I mean, there was a whole generation that suddenly fell in love with Shakespeare yeah. because it was a big mainstream success. Um, it, it then you know spawned movies like Moulin Rouge and a, a bunch of other other things that, that you know in that vein. And it, it, it was a very um, hyperkinetic um, you know work of cinema. It it definitely wasn't a moribund spa- stage play. Mm-hmm. And there had been adaptations that were very successful. Romeo and Juliet in the past, Olivia Hussey mm-hmm. uh, back in the late Zeffirelli, '60s yeah. and Zeffirelli's uh, yeah. Romeo and Juliet. Uh, which you know the music is, is is I think more iconic or more well known now than the movie, yep. um, but uh, but it really was something we hadn't seen before, um, and 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 it's, but we do have an abundance of riches for yeah, Friday. Yeah. Uh, we do, we do. But I'll I'll, I'll go along with I can the go with Lerman. That. For sure. So Monday, Akira Kurosawa's Ron. Tuesday, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Wednesday, Kenneth Branagh's Henry V. Thursday, it's Richard the Third, and Friday it's No Tears for Caesar. Oh no, it's uh, Friday. Friday is uh, Baz Luhrmann's or John Carpenter's uh, Romeo and Juliet. Wow, beware the Ides of March, but don't beware this great week of uh, of, of Shakespeare uh, movies. It's a really strong week. Take this opportunity to watch all of the stuff that we mentioned. Yes, everything. And all the things we'll be <laughs> tweeting about. And if you don't watch it today, you can watch it tomorrow. And, and tomorrow, tomorrow. And tomorrow. And tomorrow. <laughs> um, anything anybody wants to add? I mean, you know, a lot of people <laughs> struggling in English class right now, uh, you know, reading Shakespeare. And I, I think that um, stick with it because it bears uh, great rich rewards. What, what, I, what I think uh, should be said is that don't read Shakespeare. Speak it. Mm. Read it out loud. Because it takes on a life that is that when you hear it, it is much more real, and you will you will find the meaning in it much easier out loud. I agree. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> that was speaks the truth. Um... <laughs> you speak the truth, my faithful Indian companion. <laughs> Oh my oh God! Man. Oh God! Well, oh man! <laughs> oh God! We'll we'll be back uh, next Friday with an all new episode of the Four Thirty Movie. Wherever you listen to podcasts, assuming you make it through the Ides of March uh, and aren't stabbed in the back by. Uh, uh, somebody you admire and respect. Meanwhile, we hope you'll uh, check out our sister shows, Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, and Disco Nights, a celebration of Star Trek Discovery, featuring host Chase Masterson as special guests. Uh, meanwhile, if you want to check out previous episodes of the 430 Movie or purchase some of our great 430 Movie logo wear, you can go to 430movie.com or suggest future theme weeks or tell us how we screwed up on Twitter, 430 Movie Podcast, 
or Facebook at 430 Movie. And if you're feeling really generous, please go to Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars. Finally, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Studios. Natalie's back there somewhere, standing like Artie in front of the uh, monitor, making sure we look good. <laughs> and thank you for that. And um, last but not least, I, I know we have somebody here with a suggestion for a future episode of um, 430 Movie. So Isaac, come on up here and tell us, um, because we know you're, you're our number one fan. You're a huge fan of the show, and that's true. Um, what show, ha- what what week are you looking forward to having on the 430 movie? Um, Wizard, we- Wizard Week. Wizard Week. Mm. Wizard Week. What, what would be your pick for Wizard Week if you got a choice? Harry Potter and the Deathly Allies Part 2. Oh. Harry Potter, why? What, what's great about that movie? A lot of action, good sorcery. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the boy who, who lived come to die, right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. So Wizard Week. That's the one you want to see. Yeah. Okay. We'll see what we can do about that. I got a little poll over here. Let's see what we can do. Wizard and, Week. And we got some wizards. Early nor late. And I got one more question for you. When it I have one more question for you before we wrap up, uh, young young super fan. Uh, what's your favorite week of the four thirty movie? War movie week. War movie week. Mm. Yeah, and why is that? I just love war movie week. You love war movies. Yeah. 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 And who's your who's your uh, favorite four thirty movie host? <laughs> It's melching. That's right. You don't have to answer. <laughs> I, I, I know it it's is. All right. You can say it, Steve. It, it, it is melching. So uh, you can whisper it to me. No? Okay. That's fine. I'm not going to put you in a spot. Okay. Well, listen. So, uh, can you read this? Can you Can you read this to take us out here? Until next week, on behalf of Stephen, Ashley, Darren, and dad (laughs) (laughs) thanks for joining us here on the 430 movie and eyewitness news starts now at six o'clock thank you very much p.m PM. yeah it's a local news you wouldn't know anything about that we hope you enjoyed our first season of the 430 movie we'll be in repeats for a few weeks but don't worry we'll be back for season two this spring for all new theme weeks But for now, we hope you enjoy our special encore presentations from our first season. We'll see you back here in a few weeks. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. Those tears, tears, tears. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones, so let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you Caesar was ambitious. If it were so, it was a grievous fault, and grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man, so are they all, all honorable men. Honorable men, honorable men, this was a man, this was a man. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.